Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I'm going to share an episode of the Peer-to-Peer podcast where a friend of mine, William, actually interviewed me. I thought I'd share this episode with you because uh, even though you've heard a lot of my story and background, I think a lot of times we're looking for new ideas and and you know that home run idea that's just going to change our world. And the reality is, you know, very few times in life do we get those big aha moments that really just change the course or trajectory of what we're doing. What it is is the same principles over and over and over. When you, you know, figure out how to analyze certain types of deals or look at the type of investments that you want to be in or how to analyze properties, it's those same things over and over and over. And so I really thought this was a episode that I should share with you guys. Um, just get into some of my background where I started, not just in real estate, but you know, just even um, as a as a young kid, really, just the thinking behind entrepreneurship and and some of the paths that led me to where I'm at today. So I just thought this would be a great episode to share and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we'll just kind of pull back the curtain again. Some of this might be repeat of stuff that, you know, you've already heard me talk about deals that maybe we've already done, but hopefully there's something new in here that just kind of inspires you. And like I said, it's the same stuff over and over. We're not looking for home runs. It's just, you know, base hits, uh, over and over. That's really what uh, success in life is all about. So enjoy the episode. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Peter Peer Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Willie Morales. And on today's show, I got Mike Ayala. He's a managing member of Four Peaks Capital Partners, and he oversees operations, management, uh, teams, construction, and human resources. Mike, thank you so much for being on today's Peer to Peer Real Estate Show. How are you? William, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, it's my pleasure. So, Mike, getting on, like I always ask all types of entrepreneurs, was real estate in your blood as a youngster? Were you always entrepreneurial or you just fell into real estate as you were uh, getting a little older? You know, um, so I was always entrepreneurial. Um, from the time I was little, I was figuring out how to make money. Um, I, you know, I made suckers in, in junior high from scratch and would sell suckers. Well, <laughs> so I've always been entrepreneurial, but right. to answer your question on real estate, I got into real estate, um, about my first rental when I was probably 25 or 26. I just, you know, I was running a successful business and realized that, you know, I didn't want to be 65 years old, 70 years old and not have passive income. So that's kind of how I journeyed into real estate investing. It's a whole other story, but we can talk about it if you like. Yeah, no, please do. Um, because like I said, I, you know, people always want to get into real estate, but guys like yourself and uh, anybody else that start, you fi- you seem like you finished the project. That's what you wanted to do. That that was your goal. Um, when you bought your first deal, mm-hmm. was it a single family? Uh, what? Yeah, it, it was a single family. Let me back up just a little bit. So I was yeah. running, um, I was 20... I was 24 years old when I started my first business and I was a plumber by trade. Okay. So a partner and I left the company that we were working for and we started our own company. And then we quickly realized what we didn't know, which I think a lot of people do, whether you're in real estate or business or anything else, you know, yeah, I yeah. think, I think the people that are extremely successful, they surround themselves with people that are smarter than one of my mentors, uh, Russ Gray always says, if you're in the room, you need to find a bigger room. So to get back to your question, um, I was working with a 
consulting company for our plumbing and HVAC business. And we did some annual planning and they actually asked the question the whole first day. They gave us a series of questions and the whole first day was going to be around what you really wanted out of life because the coaching company made this comment. They said, if you if your business is not helping you get to your personal goals and dreams and desires, then you really just own a job. Mm-hmm. And so they made us really start thinking about what we really wanted. And they asked the question that I ask a lot now, you know, what do you really want? Why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it? Measure results and adjust. That's why I talk about it, investing for freedom all the time. But anyway, they asked that question and my wife and I, you know, we're 25 years old at this point in time, probably. And the question was, if money and time wasn't an issue, what would your life look like? And so we started thinking about it and there was these little things that we would have but then I also realized, you know, um, I, did, I didn't know a lot then. I just really thought that looking forward when I was 65 years old, I was still going to be running this company, right? And so when it came to real, the reason why we got into real estate was kind of like a retirement plan. So our plan was two income producing properties a year for 10 years. That was the big goal that we set coming out of that, um, right. that planning meeting. And so to answer your question on the first property, we came back after that, after setting a goal of two income producing properties a year. Our first deal was a single, a single wide three bedroom, two bath mobile home on two and a half acres. Okay. And, uh, you know, one of my buddies actually lived there. The house was too small. They couldn't buy another house without selling that one. And I said, well, here, I'll give you $5,000 and I'll assume your, I'll assume your mortgage. And this was back in the day where you could do that. And he said, great. Um, so we called the bank up, they transferred it over to me and I got my first rental for 5,000 down. Nice, nice. So that's always the thing too, Mike, and I'm pretty sure you hear this. When you meet new investors, they always think the toughest part of getting into real estate is not having the money. So, you know, just backtracking a little bit, how would you suggest someone get into that type of of investing, especially if they have no money or they have a little bit of money and they want to get into real estate? The main thing I always hear is wholesaling. And I, and I think that some of these people don't know how, how hard it could be wholesaling, you know, because sure. you got to negotiate with the seller, try to get it down to 60, 70 uh, cents on the dollar, maybe even lower, and then and try to get that 10% profit or whatever you guys you, you want to do. So how would you go about talking to a new investor and, and, and making a suggestion on, you know, uh, on their path to uh, investing? Yeah. So I actually talk about this. I'm doing a series right now on my podcast called Investing for Freedom, where I take everybody through like my first 10 deals. And I, you know, back in the day, we syndicate properties now and we've got traditional financing and all that stuff. But back in the day, I mean, it was bootstrapped, right? Yeah. I didn't have, we had a successful business and we were spending off a lot of cash, but I didn't have a lot of money. I had to do private money loans, all that stuff. And so my, this is what I constantly talk about. The first thing that you've got, if, if you don't have any money and you want to get into real estate investing, um, or better yourself financially in any arena, the first place that I would say to invest in is yourself, your education, find a mentor, um, start going to a local REI. And I know I know these get bad raps, but the reason why I was able to find a lot of no money or low money down deals was because I was in places where I could meet business owners, I could meet real estate investors, I could meet people that were wanting to get rid of properties. And so it is possible to do little money down or no money down deals still. One of my mentors says, you got to find somebody that has falls into one of the three Ds, the death, they've got a death, there's a divorce, or they don't want it for some reason. Right. Okay. If you can find somebody that's in that realm, like, you know, maybe trust attorneys, figure out where the trust attorneys hang out because maybe mom and dad had a mobile home park and they died and they just, the kids don't want it anymore. And so Education is the first thing. When I first set that goal of two income producing properties a year for 10 years, I immediately found 
One of my mentors, Dan Sullivan, always says, the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. Mm. And so when you start thinking, you know, back to that new real estate investor and they're like, well, I don't have any money. I don't know where to find deals. It's always these same questions. How do you get the money for the deals? Where do you find the deals? You know, how go to places where people that have deals are going to be. So go to REI meetups, go to the chamber of commerce meetings, you know, where are business owners congregating? How can you find these deals? Because the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. So step one is deciding I'm going to get into real estate. Then you've got to start educating yourself. So I found, and I still recommend this. I found a 16 CD series on a sale table at Barnes and Noble in 2005 in Reno, Nevada. And I, it just like jumped off the table at me. Like it was like screaming my name. Right. Hadn't done any real estate investing. And so, you know, and it was, it's still a CD series. In fact, you can find it on the internet still, but it's like 250 bucks if you can find a used copy, but it is so good. Um, so I was driving from what's Reno. The, what's the name of it, if you don't mind? Real Estate Investors College by Dolph DeRoos. Oh, I heard of Dolph DeRoos. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I heard of him. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And he's just, it was just a scrappy, like one day weekend training that he did on how to bring value, you know, at a washing machine, at a carport, just all these little things. It wasn't like a silver bullet on how to get rich in real estate investing. It's more, changing the way you think about things. Right. And so I would just tell your listeners, if they're just getting started, they can do no money down deals still. Uh, Money's not the problem. Knowledge is the problem. Education is the problem and commitment. Right. No, I love that. I think, and that's the key to Mike is always the commitment because if you're going to start something, finish it. And, you know, and my, my course, and I talked about it, I, I, you know, I wanted to get into wholesaling, then fix and flip, then tax liens. I mean, it was, I was all over the place. It wasn't until 2016, early 2017, where I decided I wanted to do owner financing, which is do for another show. But it's, it's like you said, I, I, you know, I educated myself, looked at tons of YouTube videos, listened to podcasts. The education is out there now. It's readily available compared to, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. Yeah. So getting back to you and your wife, how, so you guys built the portfolio every year, two properties a year. That was the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did that goal change within yeah. a couple of years after you started that? Did you yeah. say, wait a minute, this might not work as, as planned. We could find something better. Well, usually when you set your goals and you focus on them, you end up, you know, there's that old saying, and I've heard, I don't know who originally said it, but I've heard Gary Keller say it, that we tend to, we tend to overestimate what we can do in one year, but underestimate what we can do in 10. So my goal was two income producing properties a year for 10 years. So I was looking down the road and I thought I'd have 20 single family properties, right? So we got that first deal done. Then I found a second deal, which was seller financing. um, Because it had some problems. By the way, usually the death, divorce, and don't want them, there's problems that exist in there. And so if you can find a seller that, that wants to get rid of that property as bad as you want to buy it, it could be a win-win. And that's where the seller financing usually comes in. I'll let you talk to, about that on another show because it sounds like that's your, yeah. that's your thing. But um, I literally did a commercial property, no money down, that included a, a kitchen and bath remodeling business, $1.1 million deal, no money down. I wow. still have that property today and it cash flows 100 grand a year. No money out of my pocket. That's amazing. Um, so back to the question, I got two single families done. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this mobile home park deal falls in my lap. Mm. 72 space mobile home park deal. I don't know if you want to hear the story. No, no, please, please. Okay. So I had the plumbing and heating company. And by this time, we had gone, gotten into some, con, you know, some construction and we're getting a general contractor's license. And so we were doing a bunch of work for the guy that managed this property, mm. um, 72 space mobile home park in Nevada. 
doing a bunch of work on the houses. They had a bunch of plumbing problems, HVAC problems. Well, he calls me up one day. This park was listed. You know, It was one of those deals where this, the owner didn't really want to sell it, but they had it listed for $1.2 million, um, which was too much for the park back then. This was, let's call it 2007, I think, by now. Um, so he calls me up one day and he's like, hey, I know you guys have already, always been interested in this property. It was actually his mom that owned it. She was an investor out of Vegas and she had a deal going south in Vegas and needed cash. So he said to me, he's like, she's got an investor that's going to buy this deal from her. I'd rather you know, have you guys have it, somebody local. Um, so I'm like, well, what's the deal? And he said, so this thing had been for sale for 1.2 million, but there was a first position note, uh, seven and a quarter percent interest. It was a hard money loan. Okay. Um, uh, an investor out of Phoenix, Arizona had the first position note for $390,000 and she needed $80,000 cash down. And you'd basically just take her out of the way and the guy would assume the note. Right. So now you're talking this park that had been for sale for 1.2 million is now 390,000 plus 80. So we're $470,000. It made a lot of sense at that number. So I went to one of my mentors, his name's Barry Lipparelli, and you know, he's been in real estate for years. He was a mentor of mine. I've done a, borrowed a lot of money from him over the years. And this is the thing for your listeners too. There's people out there like Barry that you know, they, they were done doing real estate deals 25 years ago, but they still have a bunch of money that they want to loan out. And they love real estate because they know that if the deal goes south, um, they've got real estate. So for your yeah. listener... Um, you know, don't, don't discount that. There's a lot of guys out there that they're tired. They don't want to do the deals, but they want to do the deal with you. Um, so I went to Barry and I said, Hey, I don't know anything about mobile home parks. It seems like a good deal. He looks at me and he says, it's a good thing you and I are friends. Cause I'd steal this deal from you. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something. So we're talking through it and I'm like, well, here's the problem. I don't have $80,000 cash right now for the down payment. My business was successful, but it was a construction business. So we had right. a lot of receivables, had to buy a lot of trucks. And so, you know, we didn't have a lot of cash sitting around. So he said, well, listen, this is such a good deal. I'll loan you the $80,000 in second position behind the hard money guy. And if anything goes wrong, um, I'll, I'll just take, I'll just buy him out. He's like, this is such a good deal. Cause I was scared about getting, going from, you know, I had two single family rentals and now I'm going to a 72 space mobile home park. Uh, but Barry told me, he said, don't worry about it. I'll help you through it. You know, and this is, this is the, um, this is the value of mentors. I've never paid Barry a penny for mentoring, although he's made a lot of interest off of me over the years. Sure, sure. Um, but that's the value of mentors, right? He said, I'll, I'll help you along the way. Um, he's in second position. He's like, if you get stuck or in trouble or the deal doesn't go, I'll, I'll just buy you out. I'm like, right. how, how can you lose? I, I, that, that is a great story because I think too, though, Mike, and, and, and you absolutely right. You go to your RIA's meetups, Chamber of Commerce, uh, online, there's tons of online forums on Facebook, Bigger Pockets, uh, your show, my show. You know, the education and the people are out there. You just got to present yourself in a way that you got to, I'm pretty sure you heard this, you got to offer value. What can I do for Mike Ayala? What is it that I could do so Mike can help me? Do you want me to be a bird dog? Do you want me to uh, uh, write things down? Do you want me to be a gopher? Whatever it is, yeah. it's, it's out there. You know, I mean, listen, at my age, I have a mentor and he's been in real and he's like 12 to 15 years younger than me. The ego is thrown out the door. Yeah, totally. I, I said to myself, you know what? This guy can show me a thing or two, you know, that I might not know, especially he's in New York. My properties are in Orlando and in Pittsburgh, but I'm learning from this guy right here in my backyard. So 
currently with what's happening in the world today, especially here in the United States with the pandemic, has it affected business in any way for you guys? Yeah, it's definitely affected our business. Um, just fast forwarding a little bit about where we're at today. Um, you know, after I sold my business in, in 2014 mm-hmm. and then I joined the real estate guys mastermind group. Cause I kind of was thinking I wanted to go kind of, uh, I kind of wanted to go full-time into real estate investing and syndicating. Um, so I did that. I teamed up with my current partner, Andrew Lenoy at Four Peaks, and we started, um, you know, really syndicating properties. He had started Park Place Communities before I teamed up with him. So right. he started it in 2015. I joined on um, early 2018. We started working together in 2017, but really became a partner in 2018. Right. So to, um, to answer your question, we've got 35 uh, manufactured home communities now in 13 states. And so it's been a challenge because you know, every state has their own regulations. They're being hit at different times. Right. Unemployment laws are different everywhere. And, you know, Russ Gray from the real estate guys uh, and, and Robert Helms, they always say, in, live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm still happy that we're diversified and we're in, in different markets. But at the same time, we have a construction company. So that was part of our, um, you know, when we buy a manufactured home community, we would send our construction guys we had four crews that would just travel around the country and they'd go into a new community when we'd buy it and they'd just remodel a bunch of homes. So, Mike, so that's so I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I want to talk <laughs> about your construction company. Um, is, is it still active today uh, as of July of 2020? So we have that on hold because that, okay. that was the first thing we did when COVID happened. Yeah. Because our guys, what they would do is they go into a community, they remodel two homes and they stay in hotels while they're remodeling those. And then they move into them. The crews would move into those homes and then they would live in the community for three months, four months, six months until they got all the jobs done. And so oh. when COVID first started, you know, really hitting the scenes, I think it was, um, we made the call on, I think it was March 5th to, to send all of our construction guys home. So it was pretty early right? Uh, because we didn't want them getting, you know, we were seeing the writing on the wall and, and we didn't want our guys being stuck in, communities 1500 miles away from their families and no food and and being away from their families and not being able to get back home for you know what we thought then was going to be three or four weeks right um so i'm glad we made that decision Mm -hmm. but to answer your question we have not fired our construction company back up yet because we're just not comfortable having our guys travel and, and be out there so you know most of them are you know, a lot of them have gone on and found other jobs, which I can appreciate. And then some of them are just, you know, they're on unemployment waiting, waiting to fire back up. Yeah. You know, and you, and you touched on something that, that, um, about the construction group, uh, crew going from city to city. Now, how, how does the the licensing works? Because I, I'm, I'm not sure that hopefully you can explain that. So if I have a contractor, um, and I want to say I find a property in, in Orlando. Can I send my contractor to Orlando to do uh, the repair work, or does he need to be licensed there? Like, how did you uh, work that with, let's say, with the with the city or or the state or municipality? How how did that? How does that work? Yeah, so it it depends on what state you're in, obviously, right? But when it comes yeah. to the manufactured home communities, we weren't. Um, so, like, we still almost always have to hire an electrician the HVAC guys, you know, there's certain trades in every, almost every state where they've got to have a license. But when it comes to like remodeling, doing flooring cabinets, that kind of stuff, most of the states and most of the municipalities, our guys can do that work, painting the outside of the houses, changing out windows, that kind of stuff. And so then, 
every state, our supervisor would just figure out what, what need, like what we can do there and what we have to license out. And a lot of the states, um, a lot of the states, when it comes to manufactured housing and mobile home park communities, they're, they're regulated under a different entity than the normal contractors board. Um, so like a mobile home unit will fall under the DMV a lot of times, or else like in the state of Nevada, there's um, a manufactured housing, um, department at the state. And so you, deal with the licenses and the inspections and everything through them. So that's really a state specific question. Um, But usually if you're doing anything structural, um, when it comes to single family houses, it's completely different. I mean, you know, as well as I do, you can go in and do certain things, but you can't do everything. So um, yeah, you got to just be really careful state by state and then what type of product. That's the nice thing about manufactured housing is a lot of the stuff when it comes to manufactured homes, um, your maintenance guys can do in-house. Okay. So right now, is that your, your main core business, the manufacturing mobile home type of, uh, uh, that type of industry? Is that right now the core? That is our core. Um, that is our core asset and has been for four or five years. Um, I still have a single family portfolio. I still have some commercial buildings on my own, but yeah, we've been focused pretty heavy on the affordable housing side and specifically Mm -hmm. manufactured housing. That being said, this is interesting. Um, we had, May tied for our largest sales and leasing month ever tied. Um, really? So, yeah, the argument for affordable housing is as strong as it's ever been. Yeah. Manufactured home communities are faring pretty well. The collections have been pretty good across the board. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's been kind of interesting to watch. You know, that was our thesis um, with affordable housing was that it was recession re- resistant, if you will. It's not right. recession proof, but. Um, but it, it's fared pretty well so far. I mean, I think our collections are maybe one and a half percent off of normal. Oh, that's wow. That's amazing. So these states that you picked, um, like if you don't mind giving your, at least a little bit of your secret away, how did you find these, these towns, cities, states, what was it, what was your process for doing the research? Because I, you know, again, some of the people I've dealt with and even myself, you know, we, we look at certain criteria that we want, you know, we don't want to in one industry town, like in, you know, in Michigan, where it was just the auto industry, you know, God forbid that goes boom and look what happens. So like, is there a criteria a checklist that you go through to pick a certain city? Uh, uh, um, uh, do you look at income of, of the people you want to, you know, let's say rent these uh, affordable mm-hmm. homes to? Yeah, there's some, um, there's some baseline demographics out there and, if anybody's interested in manufactured housing, um, Frank Rolf um, did a really good job of putting a course together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you can buy, you can buy a lot of his um, criteria and even do a two-day course. And so he did a really good job early on of building that out. But to answer your question for us specifically, you know, we try to target at least a hundred thousand people. Um, we look at, <clears throat> we do look at. Um, there's little things for us like a Home Depot within five miles, just for maintenance purposes alone, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we paid a lot of attention to the Walmarts and just making sure that there's, um, you know, a, at least a level of grocery store shopping and all of that. We are in some markets that are less than a hundred thousand. We actually are in, there's a couple markets that do very well and they're 45 to 50,000 people. Right. Um, but there's a specific like type of industry there. The, the, some people would avoid, for instance, um, I, I have a lot of property in a gold mining area. Okay. Um, and a lot of people are scared of it because it's, you know, they, well, what happens to, you know, if gold goes down and, the, you know, they run out of gold? Well, there's, there, we did so much 
research there, there's, there's years of gold supply there. And I don't think gold's going anywhere. Does it have ups and downs like anything else? Sure. sure. Um, but for the most part, um, what we're looking at now, we're not really looking at new markets as much as we're trying to consolidate around existing markets. Mm-hmm. When a broker brings us a specific deal that's in a new market, we'll look at it. But we won't buy a property. We, we don't like to buy properties that are less than 70 spaces if it's in a new market. If I've got a, if I've got a mobile home park community that's 10 or 15 miles from a park we're looking at and it's 45 or 50 spaces, we'll take a look at it because we can share resources. But generally speaking, we want at least 70 pads in order to go into a new market. And yeah, to answer your question, it's, you know, we're looking at the same stuff that a lot of people probably are. What's the job growth? Um, And honestly, like when it comes to affordable housing, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I don't need huge year over year job growth. As long as I can see some consistency and, and steadiness in the market, the argument for affordable housing is strong. Okay. Wow. You know, it, 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 and it's funny because Mike, I've, I've done this and a couple of my friends have done this, that we look at every statistic uh, and, and then, you know, and you know what happens it's analysis paralysis. And then you're like, well, I don't know, maybe this market might not be enough for us. How do you combat that? Because that's always uh, an issue that's been an issue for me. And for some of my friends that I know, we use analyze to death of a market and then, you know, you don't pull the trigger. So there, there's two sides to due diligence in my mind. Um, you know, we have a analytical team mm-hmm. and they're very good at being analytical and, you know, their job is, um, their job is to basically poke holes in all the reasons why we shouldn't buy this property. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and, and obviously if the, the, they're, they're pointing out all the negatives and the positives, um, this is going to sound crazy, but to me getting on the ground early is extremely important for us mm-hmm. um, because you can tell a lot about a market just by being there. You can tell a lot about the communities just by being there. And there's all these boxes. We have like a 397 point checklist that we go through as we're doing due diligence. Um, and some of those are multiple, you know, checkpoints and audits and different things. But um, to me, getting on the ground early is, and just, you know, figuring out what's going on in the community. Um, that's just as important as the analytical numbers. Cause we'd like, right. like you talked about the analysis paralysis can really, I'm not saying you shouldn't do your due diligence. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be number driven, but sometimes, you know, when we run numbers for three months and then the last thing we do is go and look at the community. Um, we flip that on its head. We want to get in there early and just see how the communities are doing, talk to people in the markets, you know, how are they feeling about everything? This is going to sound crazy, but you talk to people at the grocery stores, restaurants, all that. And like, Hey, how's the community doing? Oh, these people are so opposed to growth. They don't want anybody coming in. Like there's unemployment. Nobody has jobs. Like you can, (laughs) you can tell a lot. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you should believe everything that every single person on the street says, but there's, there's usually an, an error in the environment. I'll tell you a story. That's the opposite though. We went out and did ground checks on a community. We were going to buy outside of St. Louis. And everything was kind of pointing toward, this is good, this is good, this is good. But the opposite happened. As we got through due diligence, the numbers told us something completely different. Um, so I think it takes both of those. Yeah. No, and, and that's and that's the thing. I think having a checklist and just basically running the numbers and, and like you said, talking to the community. Because like I said, you might not believe everything, what everybody says, but you do good get a good gauge of what's happening uh, depending on who you talk to, of what's happening in the community. Obviously, you know, you have tons of websites, but 
with websites, I always a little bit leery, Mike, because the information could be backtracked three, six, nine months, and it might not give you the real time info. Yeah. You know, so I say to myself, okay, so what's the next best thing? And I always try to look for somebody that I personally know in the area. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, like, as they say, boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, do you subscribe to that theory, like trying to have boots on the ground? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but, you know, and even that, this, this, same, this same park that I was talking about, um, our national director of sales and marketing, she had a friend in this community and her friend was talking about how great the community was and everything else. And so that was another, you know, confirmation bias that we still, when we got through the numbers, you know, we were seeing there were some major employers there that were really struggling. Right. Um, there was some demographic stuff that was showing us that it was going backwards. Um, St. Louis itself had been struggling for a while. So, um, yeah, I think all those, like you say, boots on the ground, I think all that stuff matters. Right. But you, you just got to make sure we remain unemotional about it, right? I'm just thinking of Dolph Ruth. Yeah. On. He said never, ever, ever fall in love with the property, fall in love with the deal. Right. Um, so that's hard. That's probably the hardest thing as a real estate investor. And, and as deals get tighter and tighter and harder and harder to find, um, you know, we want to come up with all these reasons why we should get that deal done. Right. So we got to be really careful. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Like I said, you got to sometimes keep emotion out of it. But uh, uh, I think at the end of the day, it's how the numbers work for you or for anybody. Everybody got a different criteria. So how did you and Andrew form Four Peaks? Like, what what was it that got you guys together? Because I'm always, for me personally, I'm always amazed at how partnerships work and how, you know, let's say Andrew handles this part of the business and you handle, you know, part B of the business. How did you guys uh, form the team? Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of a lot just like, you know, and, um, I, I was just having this conversation at dinner with some friends the other night and he has had a couple bad partnerships and was like, I, you know, I never want to be partners. And, and, you know, I've had challenges in every partnership I've ever had. Um, and I've had a couple partnerships that didn't go great, but for the most part, it went well. One of my mentors always says, if two partners have the same strength, then one of them's not needed. Right. And so I think this comes back to the same thing we were talking about, just like with due diligence or anything else, unless you're really, really, really honest and aware of who you are and what your strengths are, number one, but also your weaknesses, you won't know what kind of partner to align around you, right? And I think a lot of people, um, you were talking about ego earlier in in the interview, you're being mentored by somebody that's, you know, way young, the, the ego's out the window. And that's a, yeah. such a great quality because the only way to really get what you need out of life is to be really honest with yourself and, and let that just set that ego down. And so back to the partnership conversation, when you get really clear on what you're really good at or what you're really bad at, mm-hmm. that, that makes that partnership or the need for that certain partner when they come along a lot easier and a lot more clear. And so Andrew is really good at sales and marketing, being on phone calls. Andrew is the CEO of Four Peaks. I was the CEO of Park Place Communities. Um, I've, I hired a guy about a year ago that just replaced me. We're kind of going into a new, we're launching a new fund in a new direction, which we can touch on briefly if you want. Yeah, sure, of course, um, please. But Andrew's really good at sales and marketing. He's really good at raising capital. Um, I'm really good at the operations side, organizing teams, um, getting teams built out. Um, and then the guy that just took over for me as CEO of Park Place, so we have a property management company and a construction company. So he runs the whole op, um, entire operations team. So you basically keep, which I love, you keep everything in-house. Yes. So you got the construction, property management, 
uh, sales, I'm assuming, acquisitions, all that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that's a smart, instead of outsourcing so much that you got to try to keep track. So yep. p- please go on. Sorry, I didn't mean well, to interrupt. <laughs> no, I think it's a great point. And on that note too, for anybody that's, you know, wanting to scale and get to that, because, you know, we don't want to just go out one day and just say, okay, well, we're going to be property management construction <clears> and, <throat> and just hire a bunch of people either. I've made that mistake. Um, so like even on the due diligence side, there's a company called Due Diligence Partners that does all of our due diligence um, for us when we're, when we're understaffed. So you can still, you can still be thinking about your long-term growth trajectory and doing everything in house, but leveraging outside resources at the same time until you get to a point where you can bring somebody in, um, in full time. So finding the partner, that's really what it is. I know what I'm not good at. And Andrew needed the same thing. He had had a partner that was supposed to be on the operation side and they had some issues. They're still friends and everything's good. We bought him out. Um, but he just had some, there was, there was some reasons why they needed to, to separate ways, some health reasons and some family sure. um, issues. And so Andrew ended up buying him out that left a hole in the operation side. And that's when Andrew and I met and, and that's how we teamed up. Okay. So again, like Dan Sullivan says, the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. If you get really clear on, you know, what you need in a partner or for that matter, even an employee or a contractor, if you get really clear on what you need, the eyes only see, the ears only hear what the brain's looking for, that partner will find itself. Just like Napoleon Hill talks about in Think and Grow Rich at the beginning, you know, he says, when, when one desires the thing, the thing presents itself. The bad part about that is if you're desiring the wrong thing, that thing's going to present itself too, right? <laughs> yeah, so. definitely. I agree there. Yeah. If you talk about, oh my God, that, 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 well, what's going to happen, you're going to get more debt. You know, it seems like the bills are piling up every, every other day. So with your, with your business, um, now you, you, you setting up a fund to, is it to lend money out to, uh, investors or how, how, how is that project working out? How is, so how, so how is that four, structured? Yeah. Yeah. At four peaks, um, on the mobile home park side, we've got, uh, specific deals where investors okay. invest directly in a mobile home park. We've got funds where they can invest in, um, a fund that just goes out and buys parks. Okay. Um, we also have a lending fund where, investors invest in what we call fund six. And then, um, we, we, we fund six loans finances homes for the, for the residents. Okay. And so then the investors get a return off of that, but we're launching a new company. So here's the thing that we're seeing happening and I'm sure you're seeing it across the board, William. Um, it's been really hard to find deals. Um, we took our, we took our projections from about 15 parks a year down to three this year. Um, we did nine deals last year, which was a little bit less than what, what we had hoped for and wanted to get done. And so it's just getting harder and harder to find deals. And so we're back in our projections off to three this year. And hopefully next year we get to, you know, five or six communities. Uh, now granted these are 70 space communities, you know, so we're talking 400, 500 lots per year. Um, but here's where I think the opportunity is at this point in time. And I know this is a real estate show. Um, but in the 2007 and eight crash, real estate shined on the other side of that because it was a real estate problem. Right. Um, so there was really great deals after that because it was primarily a real estate financing issue. Um, I don't know, I'm not here to get too far into the weeds on this, but I'm not sure that there's going to be great deals anytime soon. Um, so we're fortifying on the Park Place community side and Four Peaks, but we're bringing back our acquisition projections quite a bit. Okay. And we're refocusing. We're going to launch a fund. Um, we're launching a new company called Velocity Venture Partners, and we're going to buy plumbing and heating companies. Oh, okay. 
Yep. So we're kind of shifting back to my roots and I think it's a great time to buy businesses. And so, you know, for your listeners, even buying out portfolios of rentals, I think there's going to be people that are tired. Um, you know, they've been through a couple downturns. Um, we might have a hard time picking up one or two deals here and there, but I think if we can go buy an operator that has five or 10 communities already sure, and just buy their entire business. Um, I think that's a strategy that people might want to start thinking about. No, that's, that's something to, to think about. So Mike, talk about more about your podcast and what's it about? Uh, do you do, is it solo show, an interview type of series? Uh, talk more about it. Yeah. So the podcast is called Investing for Freedom. I launched it just because um, you know, I love talking to people like you. Um, I believe that at the end of the day, and again, it's the simple formula, what do you really want and why do you want it? Yeah. We can get that figured out and then, and then we can figure out exactly what we're going to do to get it. Um, there's nothing special about William. There's nothing special about Mike. We just had somebody inspire us. You know, we read yeah. books, we got inspired. And so that's the point of the podcast. And so to answer your question, on Mondays, I do a little short form. It's just me talking about whatever I'm thinking about. And then Thursdays, I do an interview with you know somebody that really I try to focus not so much on the how-to as much as the why did you. Um, mm. What did you do? When was the moment you realized you didn't have freedom? You know, what is it that you're working for? Because it's different for all of us. I mean, for yeah. me, it's always been about just, I never wanted to miss football games. I never wanted to miss baseball games. My mom was working two jobs and going to college. My dad left me when I was little. I, I said I wasn't going to be that parent and I wasn't going to be owned by my job or my right. business for that matter. And so um, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the pulse on investing for freedom. I'm just bringing in people that have done the thing, different levels. You know, and it's, and it, it, you make sense and, and it is to me a principle. It's why you want to get into it. You just can't get into it. Just, oh, I want to make more money, but why, what is it? Is it, you know, a future for retirement? Is it, uh, you want to, you know, uh, change your destiny, your, your family's destiny. So it's always, what is it about that goal or that endeavor you want to get into? Why? And I think that's a great point. So Mike, if somebody want, again, listen, thank you so much. You gave us so many great nuggets. If somebody want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? So they can find me, um, you know, on the podcast, it's investing for freedom. So anywhere, you know, you listen iTunes or whatever, but then the website is www.investingforfreedom.co. Okay. And then on Instagram, I'm at the Mike Ayala. All right. Sounds good. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, brother. No, definitely. Take care, Mike. Ciao. Well, everyone, that was Mike Ayala, who's a managing member of Four Peaks Capital Partners. You can find Mike at MikeAyala.com, and you can find him at InvestingForFreedom.co. Mike, thank you so much for being on today's Peer to Peer Real Estate Show. Really appreciate it. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.